All right, I'm back. You're back. You ready to do this? All right, so open up to the book of Jude. If you don't have a Bible, the gentleman in the back would love to get one to you. I say it every week. You can keep it. You can write in it. I check with Jesus. It's still okay. All right, you can write in this Bible. You can keep this Bible. It's our gift to you. Just don't, don't start hoarding Bibles at home, okay? I get a Bible every week at church, right? Second to the last book of the Bible, Jude. It's a short little epistle, fancy word for letter. The letter of Jude. And we opened it up last week. We started the letter, and I warned you, did I not? For those of you some of you that weren't here last week, you're like, oh no. Right? I warned you last week. Today's going to be the heavy lifting in this text. Okay, the heavy lifting. We have a lot of work to do. We don't have much time to do it. All right? But I want to encourage you. It's here for a reason. Keep in mind that, that Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? He bunked with them. They lived together. He was also, of course, the brother of James. He kicked off the whole letter by saying, look, I'm a bondservant of Jesus and a brother of James. He could have said, I'm the brother of both. But what had happened to Jude? He, Jude had this radical transformation. He did not believe, it's kind of understandable, you know, your brother claims to be God, you're like, okay, right? Most older brothers have at some point done that to their younger brothers, right? My little brother's still half convinced he's, you know, adopted from another country, he's not from, you know, Okay. But Jude had this radical transformation where he didn't even believe Jesus to be the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah, until after his brother went through three years of public ministry, was persecuted, was reviled, was murdered on a cross, put into the ground, and then resurrected and eventually ascended into heaven. That's when Jude said, you know what? All my doubt, all my unbelief has been put to rest. And by my estimation, it's the only book of the Bible where the author says, look, I wanted to actually write about something else. I wanted to write, and we saw that last week, I, want to write about, I wanted to write about common salvation, and that's great and amazing. But then the Holy Spirit showed up and said, hey, this is what I want you to write the church. This is how I want you to equip the church. This letter needs to be written to the Christian church of his day and our day today. And it's a tough book, especially the section we're gonna bite off today. Okay, it's a, it's a tough book. But remember, this is coming from a man who's, who had unbelief the entire, his entire life with Jesus, he had unbelief until the very end. And then it was radical. And he had to get this out and he had to implore the church under this massive banner of contending for the faith. And so last week we took a look at three ways that you can contend with the faith in your interaction with common culture. There's things that you just need to reject need to reject certain things that are intrinsically offensive, intrinsically sinful. There's things that you receive that are essentially agnostic of God, like technology, and the church can receive those things. I mean, it's a PowerPoint for crying out loud. They didn't have that in the Bible, but it's okay. We can receive that, right? We can receive it and use it to proclaim the gospel. And then there are things that need to be redeemed, things that the world wants to use for evil, that Christians are an active participant in God's redemptive story to redeem something and use it for the good of the gospel. And I use that example of the heavy metal scene right now where these Christian bands are going into a genre thought to be lost. Well, heavy metal's for the devil and then so now we've got, you know, Hillsong, right? And people are like, oh, and then there's guys like me like, oh, but I like, yeah. okay? And, and the metal scene is these guys going into a dark genre of music and saying, we're gonna make this for Jesus and they're doing it in an amazing way. So you've got reject, you've got receive, you've got redeem. And now we get into some heavy lifting. Again, I warned you last week and you showed up. So your glutton's for punishment. This is some heavy lifting. Some of you are like, I wasn't here last week. We locked the doors. It doesn't matter. You can't get out anyways, okay? So you're here and then I want you to uh, commit to coming back next week and we round the whole thing out. It'll be a lot fluffier again next week, okay? And so I'm like, oh good, I can't wait for that week, right? But we got to get through this text because again, Jude is encouraging us to contend for this faith that's so valuable and so I actually want to start in verse four of Jude, even though we read through that at the end of last week, I want to start there because that's actually where it kind of kicks off. It says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. That's creepy, okay? 
For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Oh, it's already getting intense. These are ungodly men, it says, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. What we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be paralleling a few things today. Two things. We're gonna be paralleling both the physical, the carnal, and the spiritual. And I also want to be parallel pathing this idea that we are to be aware of things in the church and we are to beware. So let's try this. As Christians, we are to be aware of certain things. If you're in the faith that you're contending for, you need to be aware of certain things. You need to be aware of them so that you can spot them when they arise in contention for the faith and you can confront them in a loving, kind manner. But there are certain men that have crept in. They may be here today. I'm willing to say that. Love this church. Not going anywhere. I'm willing to say that there are men that have crept in. Why? Because the Bible says there will be. And to those men, if that strikes a chord in terms of anything that we talk about, you need to beware. Christians need to be aware of this and the certain men that have crept in here today, you need to beware. You need to beware that the wrath of God is not something to be mocked and his church is nothing to be messed with. Amen. You need to understand that. And so we're to be aware and to certain men, you better beware. All right, some of you are like, this is getting intense, right? Here we go, all right? So verse five, it says, but I want to remind you, see, this is nothing new. Jude's not writing about these certain men, about these practices, just out of nowhere. He's saying, look, these are eternal truths that have always been understood by God's people. It says, so I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Wouldn't it be great if like Christians were just like well-versed in the Bible? Wouldn't that be epic? People are like, yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. What are you doing about it? you're showing up on Sunday hoping that I did my homework, right? That's what you're hoping. You're like, well, and I go to Wednesday too, so I'm fine, right? That's two teachings. What are you doing about that? Because what Jude's gonna do is he's gonna systematically pull from the Old Testament, right? He's gonna systematically pull some eternal truths from the Old Testament and, and lay out this case against false practices in the church so that Christians would be aware of certain things and that certain men would beware of certain things. But it, it's under the assumption that we already know all this, okay? I can't condemn because a few years ago, was I lazy about Bible? Absolutely. Completely lazy about my Bible. And so for this teaching, what I want you to do is, you've got your Bibles open, I want you to get a pen too. So we're gonna write a few things down. Here's a crazy idea. I'm gonna give you some, some things to study this week. Like, wait, between Sundays? We study between Sundays? Yeah, some passages to look up as you're going over Jude again? And you're looking back for the Old Testament. We'll get to them one by one. And it's this first one that says, saved the people out of the land of Egypt. You can just put an underline underneath that. Saved people out of Egypt and just write to the side Numbers 14. Again, it's okay to write in your Bible. It's not sacrilegious or anything weird, right? Numbers 14. Again, we're gonna take a look at it real quick, but I want you this week, that's, your, that's tomorrow. You're gonna study Numbers 14, Right? In cohesion with Jude, what's, he, what's the full unpacking of that? Because we don't have time. Each of these verses is a sermon. And so you're gonna get the thrust of it, but then you gotta study this throughout the week because you're to be aware of these things. You can't be aware unless you know them. All right, he says, this is stuff you should already know, Christian. So let's start that today. Let's start that today. Let's take our studies diligently. Let's not be casual about the fact that God revealed himself to us, Right? Praise God, we're not a religion. It's like, hey, you know what? Just speculate about me. Just kind of figure it out. Think about it. Get some people that got degrees in philosophy. No, this isn't speculation. This is revelation. We should be excited about that, right? And so he says, saved a people out of the land of Egypt. And this is, of course, when God saved his people out of slavery in Egypt. The whole thing is a picture of us. We're enslaved to sin, yes? People are like, I've never even been to Egypt. I don't get it, right? You're in Egypt, you're enslaved in sin. You're in a body that's warring against the spirit by flesh. All right? And so he says, having saved the people out 
of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Keep in mind, God's people had been freed from Egypt and brought to the edge of the promised land, right? Like right there, like they could just see it. There it is. They, they had experienced God opening up the Red Sea and then crushing the army. That's amazing, right? Wouldn't you like just at least been like, on the sidelines with popcorn watching that thing go down, right? You would have been excited about that. And we would have been just enthralled with God. It actually happened, by the way. Where the Red Sea would have been at the time, they're finding chariots Amen. underground. Like, why would a chariot be there? Read the Bible, right? <laughs> History Channel's confused. What does this mean? Eh, it's easy, right? <laughs> That's what it means, right? They'd been delivered from the Red Sea. They'd come in contact with God's voice on Mount Sinai, right? Thunder and lightning and crazy God shows up. It's never like casual when God shows up. They're like, hey guys, what are you doing? It's like thunder and lightning, God is here. They had seen that, they'd experienced that, right? They'd been, they'd been, they've given God's provision daily through the manna when they're out in the wilderness. Most of us have never had these encounters really, save but through our experience through the spirit and understanding through the Bible, and guess what happens? All that happens, like, you see the Red Sea thing? We went up to the mountain, it was crazy. God showed up, it was lightning, it was crazy. We were on the wilderness, we had nothing, we were fed. They get to the promised land, like, you know what? I'm not sure if I believe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I got, some, I got some doubts, right? And they had some doubts right at the edge of the promised land. And because of their unbelief, what happened? Nearly an entire generation of adults never entered the promised land. And the first picture is this one that when you contend for the faith, this is an enduring contention. It's not like you got all hopped up on sugar in the morning and and got some coffee and you're all jolted. Let's do this Jesus thing. And by noon, you're like passed out. I can't stand it. Someone asking me questions about you. It's this enduring push for the gospel. It's this enduring contention for the faith. To the very end, written by a guy who had no belief while he was living with Jesus. He gets to the edge of eternity. It doesn't matter where you are in your lifespan. You get to the edge, you keep pressing forward. He says that's what God's people are about. They contend. Ongoing, it continues. It keeps going. And so again, that's the Numbers 14 reference that you want to look up this week. It says verse six, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. We'll get back to the angelic realm here in a second. In verse seven it says, and Sodom and Gomorrah, underline that, right? Genesis 19. We know this, right? American Christians know this. They love this story, right? No, we don't don't love it. Oh, we do. We obsess over this story. We bring it up all the time. The overarching conspicuous sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was what? You can say it. Homosexuality, yes, true. The Bible says so. That's the overarching conspicuous sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Did you know that there's a list of others? Did you know that there's a list of others? Sodom and Gomorrah was actually a very prosperous and and lush place. It's beautiful. Anyone been to the Middle East? Who's been to the Middle East? Right? Myself included. You go to Jordan, Israel, heck, I've been in Iraq and Kuwait. There's these little just like oasises of perfection nearly, right? A river comes in. It's just beautiful. Just beautiful. It's like desert for hundreds of miles. And then it's just this pop of an amazing area. Sodom and Gomorrah was one of those places. You'd be coming by on a caravan. You're like, let's stop there, right? Like that, that's where we want to be. That's, I'll, I'll show you where it says in Genesis 13, 10, it says, and Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. Anyone been in Jordan? I've been in Jordan, right? You see some of these little oasises, it says it was like the, so on the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And then in parentheses, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not as pretty today. Okay? And it says like the garden of the Lord. At one point, Sodom and Gomorrah was as amazing as the garden of Eden. Right? And so we, we get this dark picture when we hear Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not how it started. It started, it was an amazing place to be. It was prosperous. It was thriving. It was probably a lot like Thousand Oaks. It probably was. People drive by on the freeway, they're like, man, I get out of the mess of LA and this is beautiful, right? They got trees, they got at least a thousand oak trees, right? This is beautiful, right? 
And again, the overarching theme of the story, the unpacking in Genesis 19 is homosexuality. But whenever you read Sodom and Gomorrah, I want you to go somewhere else as well. So you've got your Genesis 19, but I also want you to confer that with Ezekiel 16, 49. Write that down. Don't pigeonhole the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah into the homosexuality bucket. It's there for a reason and we need to, we need to tussle with that. And some of you struggle with that, right? The church is responding to an overarching cultural shift right now and that's what we're to do, okay? But you need to know, we need to be as fervent in declaring the sins of Sodom that aren't homosexuality. I'll show you where those exist. Again, Ezekiel 16, 49. Here comes a list. God just, he's, I'm a fan of lists. His list's way better, right? Way better. It says, look, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. Oh no. I, I just thought Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be about the homosexuals. It seems like it's about me now. Yeah, Sodom had pride. This, this intrinsic self-worth and self-glorification and satisfaction in all that they had done. That was an overarching sin in Sodom and Gomorrah as well. He continues, he said, so her daughter had pride, fullness of food. Oh no, you're, no, there's no way the pastor's gonna rip on food right now, is he? There's no, there's no way. Do not mess with my lunch, right? They had fullness of food. This is a prosperous place. They could eat as much as they wanted. They could eat to excess. You think that's not a picture of Thousand Oaks, America? You don't think we struggle with that? You must be crazy. I'm a fitness coach and a nutritional coach as well. And I counsel people through fitness and nutrition. I'll tell you, nutrition, way harder than fitness because you have to tear down American idols. I authored a plan with a friend to be used as the base nutrition for a fitness team in Ventura that sheds all their fat right to the point where they go on stage. They've got like 1% body fat for like a day and then they eat everything the next day, right? And it sheds all this fat. I, uh, we authored this plan. It lays out exactly what you eat, exactly how much you're supposed to eat it, the time frame in which you're supposed to eat. You get to eat every two and a half hours. You're eating proteins. You get to eat carbs. Every meal, every snack, carbs. So I'm like, I'm anti-carb. You shouldn't be. You should be anti-simple carb. That's another sermon, okay? But... <laughs> I author this plan and, and you, you, you get to eat all the time and I tell you exactly what to do and people cannot stand it because they hold up the idolatry. I want it to be sweet. I want my food to be salty. I want it to be in excess. I want it to be greasy. I want to have variety. No one wants to think about eating the same thing every day for 12 weeks. You know what they call that in other countries? A blessing. I get to eat the same thing every day. For, you're going to give me food for 12 weeks in America. It's like, that's disgusting. That's an affront to my way of life. Okay? I did a bulk program last winter. Some of you are like, are we still in Jude? Right? Like, I did a bulk program last winter. It didn't work. I'm not that big, right? But I gained a whole bunch of weight on purpose to add some muscle. And then I used this plan. It's a 12-week plan to shed fat only. Only fat. Decrease caloric intake, ramp up your metabolism. It's the perfect contention. It's the perfect plan. I dropped 20 pounds of fat in seven weeks, three days, having one day off every week where I got to eat burgers and hot dogs, whatever I wanted. There's other people in the room that I just made eye contact that did this recently. I'm not going to call them out, but they know who they are. They know this thing attacks fat and Americans want nothing to do with it. I'm going to give you a plan. You're going to eat every two and a half hours, carbs, all this sort of, why is it so hard for Americans? Why could I not sell that thing if I tried? Because it tears down the American idol of I want to be full. I want to be in excess. I want everything to be sweet and salty and crazy. Yeah, food, gluttony, that's a big deal in the Bible. You want to focus on the drunks. You want to focus on the homosexuals. No one really wants to talk about gluttony. No one wants to talk about the fact that in Sodom there was a fullness of food. It's not to say that food is bad. Matthew eleven nineteen it says, Jesus came eating and drinking. They called him a glutton and a drunk. He was eating good food. He was having some wine. Okay, all the religious people just freaked out in the room. He was not having, it says it, read the text. Okay, but he wasn't a glutton. He didn't worship food. He didn't look to it for a source of comfort and he wasn't a drunk. Probably had a glass every once in a while. Okay, and where did our problem with food begin? Where did it begin? Garden of Eden. It's the first time we held up food as the answer. And all of sin permeated the earth. And so one of the sins in Sodom was this fullness of food. The next one is this abundance of idleness. Oh, you're not going to talk about retirement, are you? 
Oh, don't, don't, don't bring it. First I can't eat, now I can't retire, okay? Look, I don't care if you retire from your profession. That's a great and a good thing. I plan to at some point and then become like a crusty old marketing professor at a local community college where I can yell at people, right? <laughs> but this idea that, gentlemen, you know 1 Timothy 5.8? You know 1 Timothy 5.8? No, we don't really like that verse. You know, why? you know what it says? It says, any man that does not provide for his relatives, especially those of his household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Gentlemen, guess what? You work. You work, not because you have to, but because it's built into your DNA. Built into your DNA. Genesis, God created Adam out of a response for what? Was God lonely? Did he want a guy just around in the garden, naked, walking around? No, he says he created a garden and guess what it needed to happen? Someone needed to work the garden, so he made man. Then he realized guys are pretty, we're pretty weird, so we need help. Comes in woman, right? (laughs) Gentlemen, you need help, okay? That's where ladies come in. It's built into our DNA. We work. We work. We're not legalists if you can't work because of physical stuff. We get, I get that, okay? That's not the intent of the text. Say so that men, yes, you work. You never get to this point where you can just be lazy. You don't get to that. They were in Sodom. They were lazy in Sodom. So it's, again, it says they had pride, fullness of food, this abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Just, just, you know what, you know what, tell you what, just tithe 10%, then you don't have to worry about poor people the rest of your life. That's what the Bible says. Just, as long as you just, just submit your 10%, you don't have to care about the poor, you don't have to serve the poor, you don't have to work with the needy, you don't have to do any extra programming, that's where it ends. Grace is greater than the law, yes? There's way more to be done than your tithe. Beyond that's above and beyond. That's gifts, that's blessings. The 10th is just to secure your heart in the Lord, that you trust him with that much, Right? I remember my dad did this when I was a kid. I had, I, we had an allowance. This is way back in the days, by the way. This is like, for the young students, this is the 80s. Now, the other half of the room, I just offended. They're like, that was, this, right? <laughs> that was just like two years ago, right? My dad, I lived in Illinois, okay? I was young. I got a dollar a week. I had to put a dime into one, savings. I had to put a dime into the church, right? And I got to keep 80%. He just instilled that. It's like, look, that just sets your heart right. Okay, 10, 10, 80. It's a great financial planning. Right? But a lot of times this idea just becomes, you know what? It's just 10% and then we're done with the poor and the needy. Okay? And that's a whole other unpacking in and of itself. But in Sodom, they didn't care for the poor. They probably just stuck to their religious tasks and moved on. And so, again, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in, this is verse 7, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality. And again, Jude understands the overarching sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You see, far more than being judged, they were eternally judged. And in your contention of the faith, that's actually what lies in the balance, is eternal judgment. It says, look, and again, you're seeing this path of of the belief and the non-belief. And he says, it's not this casual, well, which, if, if I had to pick like a, a subtitle for this, this, this sermon, it would be pick a team. That's really what it's about. Well, is there a C option? Could I be a fan and watch the game for a while before I choose? You, know, you pick a team. You're in the faith, you're out of the faith. People that come into the church that are out of the faith, and they're still coming, isn't that creepy? They're out of the faith. It's empty, vain religiosity. And so you're seeing this parallel path of the belief and the unbelief. You saw it in Egypt. You saw how there was, there was belief that carried them through, but then it turned into unbelief. And so we're to be aware of certain things, but also beware of certain things that we don't transition into them as well, that we endure, that we set ourselves apart, that we resist the sins of places like Sodom in our own lives today as we contend for the faith. Lest we serve this judgment that they refer to, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And again, so your, 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 your Tuesday study is Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, conferred with Ezekiel 16, 49. And verse eight, it says, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. We reject authority, why? Not because we don't like authority, but because we don't like who's in authority. Yes, and we're gonna see that again later in the text. So these men creep into the church and they're distorting the gospel and they're making lewd the grace of God. They're denying Jesus Christ and one of the ways in which they do that is they reject authority. Some of you were here for my ordination a couple weeks ago. What did the bulletin say? It was very purposed. 
ordained by God, simply recognized by man. That's the picture. You're not just rejecting the man, the person that's been placed in the authority. You're rejecting the decision that was to be made to put that person into authority and guess who made it? God, now you got a problem on your hands. Now you're saying you know how to do God's job better than him. You may not like me. Some of you are miffed by the way I teach or by the way Rob teaches or the pastoral staff has somehow hurt you in some way or you're getting tough. And then, so what happens is the tendency, the fleshly tendency, the contention going on is that you start to, you start to push back and you start to reject some of that. You start to, and you start to work. And I'm speaking to some people, of course, the Holy Spirit, as he works through this text, speaking to some people very specifically, you know who you are. You start undermining, you start undercutting, you start whispering about the leadership in the church. Christians, you need to be aware of that. If you're one of those certain men that's crept in here and you're doing that, you need to beware. You do. That's not a threat. That's a promise from God. Amen. Okay? And so it's this idea that we reject authority because we want to fill it with our own. In the darkest days of Israel, in Judges 21-25, it says there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Where are you at with that? Where are you at with the authority of God, the authority of scripture that says certain things are to be rejected, certain things can be received and you should be redeeming along the way? How are you doing with that? You just reading the parts of the Bible you like? Are you going through John for the 85th time? But not getting ever to like Leviticus or anything like that, right? How are you doing with that? Because when we reject authority, we reject the decision maker behind it. We say, you know what? Authority is ultimately about me. And that was going on in John saying, or Judah saying, look, you've got to contend against that. And it says, verse nine, it says, yet Michael, the archangel in contending with the devil. I love this. You know why I love this? Here's the whole reason I love this. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created, right? Everything, everything. He sits outside of the time-space continuum. He even made that. He made the concept of time. So God creates everything, light, Darkness, land, sea, heavens, and earth. Yes? That's another way of saying the spiritual and the physical. You guys know how this whole story went down? So he creates the spiritual side, he creates the physical side. Look around. Here's the spiritual side. See it? It's pretty, right? Right? It's good. You can see that. Did you also know there's a spiritual dimension coinciding right now? And so what happened is God creates angels. He creates this legion. They're known as innumerable. How many is that? I was a comm major. It means a lot, right? College students are like, we were doing this last night, right? How many is innumerable? It's a lot, okay? In the original language, it means a whole lot, okay? There's a whole bunch of angels, and then one of them sees fit to declare that he will be like God. I will be like the most high. His name was Lucifer. He was a worship leader. Did you know that? Got to keep worship leaders in check, right? So, <laughs> little devils, <laughs> right? Put your guitar down. Okay, right? So one of them says, I'm going to be like the most high. I'm going to be like God. And so he gets a third of the angels, all angels at this point. He gets a third. You know what a third of an innumerable number is? A lot, right? It's a lot. Okay? And he gets a third of them and they create this angelic insurrection. They pick a fight with God. No surprise, God wins. Okay? They pick a fight with him. He wants to be God. It's also the first lie that Satan fed our parents in the garden. Okay? And so they're kicked out of heaven. They're cast down to earth. And did you know that there are demons assigned to this church? But per revelation, do you know what else is assigned to this church? An angel. An angel. And so some of us, we don't realize that there's actually this cosmic battle going on right now. There's a battle in the physical between warring flesh and spirit, and there's a battle in the cosmic. But here's the cool thing that rocked my world. On Tuesday, I remember it vividly, because I started to unpack Michael, and I realized I have done something wrong my entire life. I've pitted the cosmic battle between Satan and Jesus. It's not. That assumes that they're opposing equals on the battlefield. It is Satan versus the archangel Michael, and Jesus sits as king above it all. This is not Satan versus Jesus. This is Satan versus the archangel Michael, who are the generals on the battlefield, who are the leading angel, the leading demon, and Jesus is above it all. 
And so the entire spiritual battle is already won because we put our faith in the king, not the one who has to spend time warring with the devil, though Jesus does as well. But you know, Satan came and tempted him. You notice just that epic picture? Jesus was just above it the whole time. He's like, bro, seriously, I'm the king. Seriously, you, you can have something to do with my general later on. And, and Michael's the one that binds him in Revelation, yes? He binds Satan in Revelation. Those are the generals at war. We need to, again, put up the preeminence of Christ above this all. He's above it all. And so that was, that's what rocked my world on Tuesday. I get excited, as you can tell. And so it says, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. There's a lot of confusion about this. To be honest, I'm not gonna bring much clarity. I don't really get it. Okay, I've read all the commentaries on the body of Moses. I don't really see, I don't think it's, I don't think it matters, all right, that we necessarily understand that. God saw fit not to clarify it, so don't get caught up on that. I don't really know. It says, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Here's what I do know. Michael picked a team. Michael picked a team and so did Satan. You notice there's no like middle ground. There's no middle ground, It's not like, well, I'm going to be an observer for a while. You're in the faith contending for the faith or you're not. I'm not questioning your salvation, but if you're on the team, are you on the field? Or are you just on the bench? I'm suited up. Let's do this. All right, first play. I'm going to hang back here. You're either in the faith, contending for it, rejecting, receiving, redeeming, understanding that there's a physical war between your flesh and God himself and the Holy Spirit. There's a spiritual battle going on that's epic and it's crazy. We've got an angel over God speak, warring against demons and dominions. And I'm convinced that's why guys play video games. They want to be a part of a battle. They don't even realize there's one going around them. I don't play video games. My parents saw fit to not even have a TV when we grew up, which explains a few things, right? <laughs> I'm convinced all these first player video game nonsense, no, don't get me wrong, video games, not sinful. They're just pretty stupid, right? And so, right? And they're just playing because they want to be a part of a team. And most guys don't ever get to experience the fraternity of the military. Most people don't actually get to go to a battlefield and see what the enemy looks like. And oh yeah, by the way, he actually shoots at you, Right? <laughs> And people drum that up. I'm a, I'm a warrior because I train MMA. Stop it, okay? You want to be in the fight? I'm telling you the fight's taking place. You just don't even know about it. It's taking place in these decisions as you combat sin, as you combat demons. Because that's what the archangel's doing. He's the general. And Jesus is the king. And so it says this. It says, the Lord rebuke you, verse 10, but they, these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they do know naturally like brute beasts and these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. Again, if this is you and you know who you are, I don't have to call any, I don't have to know anything. If you come here out of vain religiosity, you come here to distort and reject and, and hamper the faith, as we're gonna see in the love feast, you come to absorb from the church, not push into the church, not serve the church. You come to be served by the church. God shows up and says, woe to you. You better beware. You better beware. That's the God we serve. Old Testament, New Testament. You better beware. Gentlemen, you're supposed to be doing the same thing with your family, yes? Why would we expect God to do anything less? Anything that offends your family, that threatens the danger, or puts your family in danger, yeah, you better protect it. That's what God says. He says, I'm gonna protect the church. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna instill a legion of angels. I'm gonna have a faithful few that contend for the faith daily, daily among the culture, because people wanna come in here. And sometimes it's not as big. You hear the stories of the churches. Uh, one pastor I heard, that it, he came in, and big church, mega church, you know. He comes out into the lobby, and he's looking around. He's got some guys with name tags. It says elder in their name. Walks up, hey, excuse me. I'm pastor. I'm the senior pastor of this church. Who are you? Oh, I'm Jeff. I'm one of the elders. He goes, I sit at the elder board meeting. I'm the pastor. You are not one of my elders. Who the heck are you? I won't... It, I'm part of this church, I'm part of that church, I'm part of this cult, I'm a Mormon, I'm Jehovah's Witness, all this sort of stuff. Tell you what, I'm gonna get a couple of my guys and we're gonna escort you to your car to make sure you get there safely. And they contend for the faith. It's not always that much of an affront, it's not always that open, but I'm telling you, if there's anyone here and this has your, this is part, just an inkling of your intent, you better beware. The God of the universe says, you don't fool me. You don't fool me. Especially when it, so check this out. On that note, it says, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Underline that. Genesis 4, 
You should be studying that. So you got Numbers 14 from verse 5, Genesis 19 and Ezekiel in verse 7. Okay, this is Genesis 4, so this is your Wednesday study. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in error of Balaam for profit. The way of Cain. Adam and Eve had some children, right? Yes, that's how it all started, okay? They had some children. They had two sons, at least, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel wanted to bring sacrifices before the Lord. Cain was a what by profession? Farmer. Good, good. Church is learning Bible, right? So Abel was what? A shepherd. So Cain, as a farmer, brought what as his sacrifice? Harvest, grain. Abel, as a shepherd, brought what? Bah, right? The whole deal. Okay? He brought that. Now, a lot of, they brought it before God. God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. Now, a lot of people say, well, it's because, you know, a lot of times it's Abel brought a blood sacrifice. The Old Testament was all about blood must be shed for the remission of sins. And so, and so Cain's was insufficient in that regard. No, that's not what the point was. Thank goodness God's heart is bigger than the mode by which you sacrifice to him. Thank goodness. I'll show you. It says in Hebrews 11.4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Again, your righteousness comes by what? Good deeds, good works, right sacrifice, grain versus sheep? No, by faith. So he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. And we see in First John, John 3.12 that Cain murdered Abel because his works were righteous by faith. Cain brought vain religiosity to the church. He brought sacrifice with no faith. Sacrifice with faith. Some of you, I got to sacrifice my Sunday mornings. I got to serve. I got to do this. And that's all great and grand. And it's conditioning. But I'm telling you, without faith, just stop. You have no service to the church if you're not compelled by the gospel to serve others because you were served by the creator of the universe. I'm not sure if you need more incentive than that. I don't want to, I don't want to be, I'm tired. It's like 60 degrees outside. I, I'm going to move to California for this, right? It's, it's too hot in the sanctuary. It's not really, it's really the, the donuts, I mean, it's the same donuts every week. I mean, it's just, the coffee's not that great. I mean, Starbucks is around the corner. And we, we just come here out of vain religiosity. We don't come here with the heart of faith, with the heart of servitude, as Jesus came to the church. We just bring vain religiosity. And so, as Christians, we're to be aware of this. You're to to be aware of how easy it is for the flesh to pull you into that. How easy it is to be pulled into that. And those of you that come here with ill intent, you need to be aware that the creator of the universe is not fooled by your vain religiosity, by your faithless works. He could care less. Even Even the works of faithful saints are but dirty rags in front of God. How much less are those of people that just bring vain sacrifice? That's the contention. All right, and then so it says this. It says, greedily in error of the Balaam for profit. Some of you will just flat out do anything for money. You will. What's the theological underpinning? Knock it off. That's the theological underpinning. Some of you will do anything. Well, it's a business practice. No, it's lying. No, it's deceit. Some of you, and I'm in business too, will do anything for profit. Anything for profit. That was the sin that's being spoken of. You need to guard your heart against that. Christian, you need to contend for the faith and understand that your riches are in Christ and that you hold to, you reject certain things of culture though they may produce profit, okay? Porn producers, millionaires. Millionaires. God doesn't, God doesn't hate on making money. He blesses the church. He blessed Israel. He propped them up financially. That's not the point. The point is some of you will sacrifice anything for money. You'll sacrifice your faith. You won't contend for it in that moment. You say, you know what? On this, I'm gonna acquiesce, you know what? Because it's gonna bring a bigger paycheck. Bible says we better watch out. Guard against that fleshly pull into that realm. Even as business people, we're to be redeeming it, right? Redeeming what it means to be a businessman. Again, two weeks ago, I flat out put my foot down and said, no, I won't write fake reviews on our products on the website because that's lying. Well, it's, I mean, we're actually truly saying things. Nope, it's lying. Stop. Stop. You have to do that sometimes in the presence of a CEO, it happens. 
Thankfully, my CEO is a Christian. She's like, that makes sense, right? <laughs> okay. And they perished in the rebellion of Korah. You know what the Korah and his followers were? I love this picture too. I love when people get on their face in the Bible, by the way. We should do that way more often, right? You've seen me do it up here. I don't care. I just, no shame in it, right? Just get on your face. Quran, his followers, what? They rejected the authority of Moses and Aaron. Yes? You guys know this? And as soon as that happened, as soon as they started to contend for that, they said, hey, you know what? Not really sure Aaron and Moses are the guys that God wants. On Moses is just like, well, here comes God. God's coming, I know it. And, and at some point, he gets back up. He says, tell you what, uh, I, I feel a little tension in our relationship right now. Uh, you got all your homies with you, so let's take this to God. Uh, and they get these censers, you know, the swinging incense things, right? I'm, gl- I'm glad we don't have to do that, right? And so they, they bring it before God, and, and Moses says, you know what, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll give it over to God. He can, we'll present ourselves as servants, and God can choose. And so they walk up before God, and what does God say? This is intense. God's like, hey, Moses, step aside. You're like, right? You know something's about to happen. You've seen the movies with like De Niro and Pacino, like, hey. You're like, oh no, someone's gonna die. Someone's gonna die when you, hey, hey, move over. And so Moses is like, oh, here, I told you, bro. Right? And then the whole earth opens up, right? You believe in God that can do that? A guy that made it, he could probably crack it, right? You know? And so God cracks the earth, consumes Korah and his followers. And again, the idea is that they rejected the positions of authority established by God. And so when men creep into church with vain religiosity, that's one of their reoccurring themes. Really? Well, I don't, I don't know if, if, um, if Pastor Rob is, is, is really, uh, and, and Mark, he's ne- that dude's never even been to seminary. So, um, and I don't trust any guy in skinny jeans. And so, and, 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 and and, and, you know, Pastor Brett was up in Santa Barbara for a while, and, and, and you see this is a recurring theme. People start to drum that up, and they start to whisper, and they start to flatter, right? And because they're rejecting the establishment of God, and God says, woe to you. Woe to you. Christians, beware that you're not falling into that trap. We're not perfect. I'm going to fail you. I'll just start that right now. They're like, oh, you're going to be a great pastor. I'm going to be a terrible pastor at times, by the way. Did you know that? I'm going to rely on God's grace through you to keep me going, too in the ministry. And so the staff does that. It's not about us, but that authority is set up for protection and God knows that when you start to question that, you better be wary of the God of the universe showing up and putting, you, putting his servants on their face so that he can deal with you directly. Right? This is an intense chapter, right? Okay, come back next week. It'll be a lot fluffier. Okay, so, right? And so he says this. So that was the rebellion of Korah. Verse 12, we're going to wrap this up quick. Put your seatbelts on. It says, these are the spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear. This is the first century church potluck. Did you know that? People are like, churches are just obsessed with their potlucks. We always have been, okay? They used to be called love feasts or agape feasts, okay? All the Christians would get together, whether free, whether slave, whether rich, whether poor, they do a potluck. You know how a potluck works? Like if you're poor, you can just bring like a bowl of chips, We've all done it. Every college student showed up to a party with a bag of Lay's, right? Here you go. It was a buck 99, right? So you don't know what to do. And then the rich people would bring a ton, but you get to the table and a potluck, guess what? It's all open. It's all open. The church says we share. This is a love feast. This is about what Christ has done equally for all, regardless. He brings it all in. And, and people come into this love feast without fear, and they begin to consume things for themselves. That's what he's going to talk about. He says, without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees with their own fruit, without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Men come in, women, you come in, people come into the church to be served. They come in to be served. Stop. Stop it. I'm coming for a good teaching. I'm coming to have my kids watched. I'm coming for a good donut, coffee, right? I want the air right. It's a little hot, a little cold. I'm from Minnesota, by the way. Stop complaining, okay, right? Okay? It's fine to be served. They come here to a love feast to consume for themselves. For the slaves, this is the best meal they got for weeks sometimes. If they were even able to attend, And men show up to the church in vain religiosity, questioning authority, and just consuming. And the number one problem with a church in America is consumerism. And you need to contend for that. 
You need to contend against consumerism in the church. Yeah, you need to pour yourself out more. I'm telling you, you're gonna have an incredible experience serving in the church. It's not always gonna be nice, but anything worth it is gonna have tough times. Serving the church is amazing. I'm just starting to get it. I want you to come along for the ride. Help out in the children's ministry. Help out with the bean patch. Help out with 40 Days for Life. I'm telling you, you will be encouraged. God will bless that regardless of whether you brought a little to the table or a lot. He will bless that. And it says this, Verse 13, it says, raging waves. Oh, the old clouds without water, by the way, that just means that they bring no life. We don't get that because in California we pray for the clear clouds, right? Oh no, that one's a little gray. It's okay, it's just called water and every once in a while it falls from the sky. But notice what happens, all the hills become green. Yeah, but I don't wanna deal with the rain, right? And so it's this idea, they're clouds without water, they bring no life, which is something that we struggle with out here, I get it, okay? Right, it's like we want the state to be brown all year round, right? Like, I love the rain, be excited about it, it brings life. These people don't. They don't. They suck. In terms of like air and everything, that didn't go over as well as I thought. Let's videotape next service, right? So, they suck the life out of the church. They consume, yes? All right, glad we got past that and survived. All right. It says, the raging waves of the sea, foaming up with their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's ultimately the destiny and you do need to leave that ultimately in God's hands. It says, now Enoch, which is a book that's cited in the Bible, though it didn't make the Bible. You guys notice that? You got those good Christian books. I love Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. Guess what? It's not the Bible, but it's great, right? This is one of those books, okay? Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints, Jesus is coming. Amen. Verse 15, to execute judgment. Oh, no, no, no. He's coming back to uh, sit at the peace table with his enemies. He's probably gonna use the UN. Nope. No, he's coming back to wage war. Jesus' current hobby right now, interceding at the throne and sharpening his sword. I'm convinced, okay? To, convi- to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which have been committed in an ungodly way. See, it's not me doling out conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. I can't pick you off. I can't, I can't know everyone by name. I can't know your heart. But God does and he will and he will judge and he will execute judgment. And again, at the end of this, there's gonna be prayer teams. If you're struck by these arrows that I'm clearly shooting, <laughs> that God says, look, throw these out. Head to the prayer team. Repent of it all. Amen. Repent of it. I'm serious. Oh, that's okay. It's a Christian ease for, no, get on your face and repent. I'm serious. Do it. We all need to. We need to contend. And so he says he's coming to execute judgment, which they have committed in ungodly ways for all the harsh things which the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, you know these people, walking according to their own lusts and their mouth Great swelling words. See, that's how it happens. A lot of people, you get, you get conjured up, you get into sweet-talking people. And why do you sweet-talk people? Because you care about them? Because you want to see them built up in Christ? No, because you want something for them, right? You ever notice that? People go, hey, brother, what's going on, man? What do you need, right? That's the, that's the proper response. What do you need? You never, you don't, no one slinks up to you. It's like, hey, how are you doing? You need something from me, don't you? Those are the people. You know them. You see them. If you're one of them, Repent. Stop it. You don't abuse and abuse the church for selfish, vain priorities. So so swelling words, they flatter people to gain advantage, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last days. Look, we we knew this was gonna happen. No one's caught off guard, the least of which is God. He knew this was gonna happen. He simply has preached grace through his word to continue to declare it until he comes back. It says, the mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons. It just means physical or carnal. It's not sexual. Who cause divisions, not having the spirit. The point of Christianity is to what? Be conformed into the image of Christ, yes? That's the whole, that's your, the, that's your theological degree right there, okay? Schools can't even get to that answer, okay? The, the purpose of your faith is to be more and more conformed into the image of Christ, See, the closer you get to Jesus, the less enamored you become with yourself. But the closer you get to him, 
the more you want others to have a part of him. That's why we contend. We contend with the faith to declare it as the image bearers of God. We declare that which we know to be true to a world that ceases to deny it or begins to deny it. They reject it. And we want that for them because we lovingly, lovingly want to see as many people in heaven as possible. And so we contend for the faith. As we get closer to Jesus, we become less enamored with ourselves. And we have to understand the gospel in order to contend for it. And so we understand that the God of the entire universe created us for his glory, that we rebelled, just like Satan rebelled in the angelic insurrection. We rebelled from God. We said, I'm of my own authority. I'm lacking faith. I reject your authority. And then Jesus swoops in on a cosmic rescue mission, swoops in to redeem an entire people, become sin, be put to death, so that we could now take part in the chapter of Christianity that we're currently in, which as it says in Romans, is God actively reconciling all things to himself. It's all coming to a head, ultimately to the consummation. That's the gospel in five chapters. Creation, fall, redemption, reconciliation, and consummation. That's the gospel. And so we contend for that. We reject, we receive, we redeem. We contend against these false practices. We are aware of the areas that we struggle by the Holy Spirit. We are aware that we have a tendency to bend toward these bad practices. And those of you that have come here today as an affront to the gospel, you need to beware that God will strike you down in the name of Jesus because ultimately God is first and foremost about his glory. He contends for his glory and so we contend for the faith of a God that served us, went to the cross for us and is worth every bit of contention on earth. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. I pray that you would smooth out any of the details, any of the wrinkles that I've caused in my flesh over this message. We thank you for Jude's willingness to write a book that he seemingly didn't necessarily want to at the beginning. He wanted another book and you saw fit that this would be the book that he wrote as harsh as it can be. And you saw fit to put it in my heart that we would learn this now. I don't know why. I don't know the deep ramifications that you have intended for it. I'm simply faithful to proclaim your word and understand that the Holy Spirit will do the rest. And so I rest in that. I rest in the fact that those that are struck by this message, that are compelled by this message, that are convicted by this message, you saw fit to do so. I pray for the prayer teams in the back that people would get up and go back there to any degree in which they've been struck and convicted. They would go back and fall on their face before you as Moses did and say, I don't wanna be swallowed up in judgment. I wanna be faithful. I wanna be encouraged to contend for this faith that's so valuable because Jesus, it's all about you. You're worth it. We declare that today in repentance and in contention for the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.